We can turn with me your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Today will be our last uh, sermon in the book of Colossians. Paul's final greetings and exhortations to the church at Colossae. So it's verses 7 through 18. We'll read, uh, the, we'll read those verses, uh, verses 7 through 18. Pastoral encouragement for the church at Colossae. So verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Anisimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome, uh, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, or of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he is a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see, excuse me, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. Well, let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for your rich instruction that we have uh, had the privilege of learning the past several months in this book. Thing that teaches us much about Christ, much about the church, that as we received him, so we walk in him. Thank you that he is the Lord of creation. Thank you that he is the firstborn of new creation. Thank you that the church is his body and he is the head. Thank you that we grow in him based upon what he has done, based upon his finished work, and based on the knowledge that we are the new creation in him, that we are the new man in him. Even as we walk in this old creation, we have been redeemed, we have been saved, we've been buried with him, we've been raised with him, and we are seated with him. So thank you, O oh God, for all that you teach us. And we pray that as a church, that we would care for one another, that we would love one another, but especially, O oh God, that we would be about your word. For it is your word that strengthens us. It is your word that nourishes us. And we pray that we would be a people about this word. We know that we have many failures, many issues, many tendencies, many temptations. But thank you that you walk with us by Christ. You walk with us by the spirit, that we are in Christ and we have your spirit. So we ask that you would strengthen your saints this day. Please give us encouragement. Please uplift us. We pray if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray that you would save their souls. And we do pray in all things you would be glorified. Give us illumination by your spirit to understand what is going on here. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, there are many blessings about modern technology, but there's also many curses about modern technology as well. And one of the blessings is we have greater access to good preaching. We have sermon audio. You can find your favorite preacher on YouTube, find your favorite preacher anywhere, and you can listen to them. While you walk, while you work, while you exercise, whatever you do, you can listen to them. 
But the reality is, as great as they are, they don't know your needs. As great as they are, they are probably not the ones praying for you specifically. And they are not the ones that you call in the night. That is your local pastor. That is those who know you. That is those who have a specific care and regard for you. And even though there are many good men and great men who do not know us, the same is also true for false teachers. False teachers who have no regard for the well-being of you. False teachers who have no regard for the well-being of the church at Colossae. And this is evident in their false teaching. But Paul, on the other hand, knows something about them. Paul, on the other hand, knows their pastor, Epaphras. Paul, on the other hand, knows many who know them. And so they care deeply about the church at Colossae. Otherwise, he wouldn't pray for them. Otherwise, he wouldn't suffer for them. And otherwise, he would not write to them. And not just Paul, but there are other lesser known men that we see in these final verses who care deeply about the church at Colossae. One thing I was struck by is for such a small letter, there are a lot of men mentioned. It's actually quite a lengthy greeting, a quite, a, quite a lengthy close to the book. There are many who do care for the church at Colossae. So Sp- Paul spends the last uh, several verses writing concerning them, concerning these men, giving encouragement, giving greeting, and what they also must do as well. How they walk in the Lord, how they walk in Christ, it comes by way of faithful men. It comes by way of the church being knit together in the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly we see the church knit together in this way, in the greetings and in the instructions that Paul gives for us here. And remember, as we leave Colossians, the main idea of the book is as you've received Christ, so walk in him. We see this in chapter 2, verse 6, as you've received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so then walk in him. Not in the way of false teaching, Not in the way based upon what these heretics say who are threatening the church at Colossae, but in Christ Jesus. It's not in by faith and remain in by your own keeping. It's not in by faith in Christ and remain in by your own man-made laws. But as you've received Christ, so walk in him. And everything about the theology of the book drives to that very idea. Christ is the Lord of creation. Christ is the Lord of new creation. Christ is the head of the church. Christ died for his church, and we are then united in him. And as the church, we are the new creation in him. As the church, we ought to grow in the bonds of peace. We ought to love and care for one another as we've so walked in him. So false doctrine, false teachers have no regard for the needs of the church. False teachers only deal with the wants of people, not the needs of the church. It's not what people want, but it is what people need. And what people need is Christ. What Christians need is Christ. God's people need to hear about Christ often and need to be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? The Christian life is difficult. It's filled with run-of-the-mill, daily sins and remaining corruption. It's filled with the threat of persecution. And it's filled with the threat of false teachers who want to snatch that encouragement and assurance away from you. What Paul is saying throughout the book is cling to Christ. Lean upon him. Hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is his encouragement to the church at Colossae. And so in these closing verses... Paul closes his letter with encouraging words for the church. That's the operative word today, encouragement. 
Now, these passages are difficult to preach. Who are these men? How does it apply? But it is still God's word, and hopefully you'll see that uh, as we go through. But we'll look at this idea of encouragement under three headings this morning. First of all, we'll see encouraged by clarity, verses 7 and 9, uh, 7 through 9. Secondly, we'll see encouraged by greet, encouragement by greeting, verses 10 through 15. Then lastly, encouragement in the ministry, verses 16 through 18. So encouragement by clarity, encouragement by greeting, and encouragement in the ministry. So let's first look at encouragement uh, by clarity in verses 7 through 9. And notice in verse 7, we see a report concerning Paul. And we see the one who's going to bring that report. Verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant, in the Lord. Tychicus is probably, uh, of, uh, he's probably from Asia. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 20. He's also mentioned in Ephesians 6, 21, as he would bring news to the church at Ephesus. Uh, it's no surprise, I guess that is the case, because Paul is also writing from prison, the same prison uh, that, he write, uh, that he writes from to Colossae is the same prison he writes from to the church at Ephesus. Paul, this is Paul's first imprisonment at the end of the book of Acts. And so Tychicus, a faithful brother, would be one that he sends to the church at Ephesus and sends to the church at Colossae. He'd been a traveling companion with Paul. Paul didn't travel on his own. Paul had people that went with him. We know a lot about Paul, but we don't know much about these other guys. It just goes to show that most people in life are not going to be known. Most disciples in life are not going to have all the fanfare. Paul gets the main bulk of the attention, but these other men do get some greetings, and there are probably others as well. So Paul had his companions. Paul had his men who went with him, and Tychicus is one of them. He's also mentioned in 2 Timothy and Titus. So a guy we don't know much about is a guy that Paul seems to trust. A guy that isn't mentioned, he's mentioned a lot, but we still don't know much about him, seems to be one, or we forget about him, perhaps, is, is one that Paul uh, uses in this way. One he wants to entrust to bring word uh, to the church at Colossae and Ephesus as well. And notice the description of him. A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord Jesus Christ. It shows his relationship in Christ. He is a brother in Christ. It shows that he is, has an office, and he uh, executes that office faithfully, and it shows who he honors. It is Christ the Lord. Now, here probably refers to a bondservant in a spiritual way. He's a slave to Christ. He honors Christ. Christ is his master. We're going to see there's other wording later for men who are actually uh, in prison. But Tychicus was a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant. And you know that one of my favorite words in the Christian life is faithfulness. Pastor Butler instilled that in me, and hopefully I remember that as we press on in the Christian walk and press on in the ministry. But ministers must be found faithful, not doing what the world wants, not necessarily doing what the people want, but do what God says. Do what God has entrusted him with. And we'll see some more of that later on with Archippus as well and Epaphras. But he is a faithful minister. It is said of Epaphras in chapter 1, verse 7. He engages his task. He's able to do the task that is laid out before him. And he's a dependable man to do so. So he is a trustworthy man. He is a faithful man. And notice what he is going to do. Verse 7 will tell you 
all the news about me. He's going to explain to them what is happening concerning Paul. In the Greco-Roman world, they didn't have FaceTime. They didn't have Zoom. They didn't have Skype. They didn't have those uh, those ways and means that we take for granted texting to be able to find out how people are doing and where they are at. Now, yes, that can still happen. Those uh, people can be uh, not check their phones and and have their phones stolen that sort of way. But but for but for the most part, we if we want to find out where someone is, we call them. We want it to we text them. We can talk to people halfway across the world. But Paul, that wasn't that option during that time. So they're anxious. They don't know. How is Paul in prison? How is the gospel advancing? How uh, how are things doing? And so it had to be by way of mouth and by way of letter. And notice Paul can't say everything in the letter. He can't say everything he wants to say in writing. And so Tychicus is going to give more news as he comes to him. So Tychicus is going to come. He's going to tell them about how Paul is doing. They have concern for him. They want to know what's going on. And Tychicus will provide clarity for them. But Paul also wants clarity concerning how they're doing. Notice how Paul, even though he's in prison, still cares for the needs of others. If I was in prison, I'd be griping about how I'm in prison, not being concerned about the needs of other people. He is concerned about Colossae. He's concerned about the situation that he's heard from Epaphras. And so Tychicus won't just bring news about Paul. He's also going to tell uh, tell Paul about all their circumstances as well. Verse 8, I am sending him to you. For this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Provide comfort. See, God is the father of mercies and God of all comfort. And we are comforted by his word. We are reminded of his promises. But other ways in which God comforts his people is through the brethren, through fellow Christians, through encouragement. When we're down, when we're heavy laden, it's a blessing to be uplifted by fellow brethren. That's why we ought to build up one another, not tear one another down. And so Tychicus is going to come. He's going to comfort them concerning Paul. He's going to comfort them concerning their situation. He's going to give them the comfort that they need to help them and know them, to know what's going on, to know how better to pray for them. So this is why Tychicus is coming. It's not just a report concerning Paul, but Paul also wants to know what is going on with them. And Tychicus will bring back word. And then notice one who will be with him, with Onesimus, also a faithful man and a beloved brother who is one of you, and they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Uh, Anisimus is uh, the slave mentioned in Philemon. It's why Paul writes to Philemon. Philemon actually probably was in Colossae. He probably was a Colossian. Notice Anisimus, it says, uh, 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 who is of you? Who is one of you? That he, he was of Colossae. He was born there. Not just one who's bound in Christ, but bound in, 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 in where he was from. They have that affinity with him because of where he is from. And what also shows us, too, is that Onesimus, who was a slave, according to Philemon, finds salvation in Christ. And Onesimus fled from Philemon. He fled away from him. He did something wrong. And yet he found forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a Gentile who found mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting 
Many of the men mentioned here, some are of our Jews, but some are Gentiles. We see as Paul uh, mentions these men, it fulfills the mystery of Christ. 127, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of Christ, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. That is, salvation isn't just in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, just uh, in the Jews, sorry. It's always in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not just among Jews, but it's among Gentiles as well. It's of through faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And we see this with one like Onesimus and one like Tychicus. So Onesimus also will provide encouragement. He'll come with Tychicus. It's best to have the buddy system when you're traveling. You got to watch out for bandits and lions and tigers and bears and all that sort of stuff when you're traveling. And so buddy system was good. So Onesimus and Tychicus will go together and they will make known all things that are happening where Paul is and also know what is going to go on in Colossae. But I think one thing that this teaches us is the importance of having concern for one another, encouraging one another, Knowing one another's circumstances doesn't mean we all have to be the bestest friends, but it's good to confide in fellow brothers and sisters. That's why in 4.2, he says, be vigilant in prayer with thanksgiving. And when we looked at that, when he says, be vigilant, certainly be watchful against our own sins, but be aware of other people's needs. Be aware of what's going on. Again, we don't have to share every detail. We don't have to conf- you know, pour our hearts out to everyone. It's good to have good friends to confide in, but we ought to consider one another. We ought to care for one another. We ought to uh, uh, grow with one another and encourage one another. As Paul says in verse 16 of chapter 3, you know, we encourage one another with the word. We encourage one another uh, uh, in the truth. That is a special bond that believers have, right? Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we have. And it's a blessing that you can go somewhere around the world. You meet a Christian, you have an instant bond, right? And even people that we pray for, even people, churches that we pray for, we don't know everybody in those churches, yet we pray for them. And remember, Paul had never been to Colossae. This is not one of the churches that Paul planted. Epaphras, perhaps, was the one who planted it. But Paul still cares for them. Paul still has concern for them because of that instant bond in the Lord Jesus Christ. And how is he encouraging them? By way of Christ. How is he encouraging them? With those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're not always good at that. We're not always good at encouraging one another, but we ought to do so with clarity. We also ought to encourage one another with greeting. And notice in verses 10 through 15, we see encouragement by greeting. And in verses 10 through 14, we see greetings from others. And then in verse 15, how the church at Colossae must greet other people. And so notice the greeting that comes to the church at Colossae. Again, that bond, again, that connection of being found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you probably literally one who was actually in prison with Paul. He's mentioned in Acts 19, Acts 20, and Philemon 24 as well. So Aristarchus, he greets you. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, greets you as well. And notice the specific instruction concerning him. About whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Why is that? Remember Paul and Mark had a bit of a, or Paul and Barnabas had a falling out over Mark. 
Mark did not go with them. This is in Acts chapter 15. What it shows is there is reconciliation between Paul and Mark. And Paul commends Mark. Paul says to them, hey, if Mark comes to you, receive him. We had a falling out, but welcome him. Bring him in. You see, we ought to, again, bear and forbear with one another. We ought to forgive one another. As Paul says in chapter 3, he says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. If you're in the Lord Jesus Christ and your sins are forgiven, you must forgive others. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be the bestest friend with them after, but you must forgive others because Christ has forgiven you. And Paul's situation with Mark perhaps demonstrates that very thing. He didn't want to take him, and rightly so, but also there's reconciliation here. And he says, when he comes to you, welcome him. Bring him in. Don't remember what you heard about him, but welcome him in to uh, to see you. Then there's another guy named Jesus who is called Justice. Don't know much about him, but notice his name is Jesus. Uh, Jesus is actually a very common name at this time. It means Yahweh saves, but certainly to distinguish from our Lord Jesus, they called him, uh, perhaps called him Justice. So these three men, Aristarchus, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and Jesus, who is called Justice. And notice their specific uh, um, encouragement to Paul. They give him comfort at the end of 11. They have proved to be a comfort to me in his imprisonment. And notice what he says, though, at the, uh, at the middle of verse 11 there. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Probably what that means is they're not the only workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. Peter was the apostle to the Jews or apostle to the circumcision, but perhaps the only ones who remained with him while he was in prison. That's probably uh, what he is saying here. But notice they are of the circumcision. Notice that they are Jews. That is what he is saying here. And we already have seen this word circumcision uh, in chapter 2 where Paul highlights that in Christ you also were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That is, we have a, a spiritual circumcision, a spiritual setting apart, and one who is a Jew can be circumcised in the flesh, but also circumcised in the spirit. And one thing it's important to highlight is salvation does not come by way of circumcision, uh, circumcision of the flesh, but in Christ Jesus, who sets apart. And so perhaps there is a subtle dig here against the, against the, the false teachers. Remember, these false teachers were saying the way to have communion with God, the way to enter the temple of the Lord is by way of man-made laws. And one of those man-made laws was physical actual fleshly circumcision it's the same problem in galatia you're justified faith plus works faith plus circumcision where paul writes to say your standing before god has nothing to do with your own works your standing before god is not based upon whether or not you are circumcised or whether or not you keep certain laws but your standing before god is based on christ's righteousness Christ's 
alien righteousness that is not our own outside of us, Christ's own righteousness, alien to us that is then imputed to us through faith. Our standing before God is only ever because of Jesus Christ. Our walking in, uh, walking in this world is only ever found in the Lord Jesus Christ, not by way of circumcision. But those who are Jews who may want to be circumcised for cultural reasons, they can also be saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is always by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in him there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Or as Paul says in 3.11, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So these men are Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice, are fellow workers for the kingdom of God uh, of the circumcision. They are Jews. Paul was specific, is a Jew, but he was set apart as the apostle to the Gentiles. And notice, fellow workers for the kingdom of God. We like to think kingdom of God is just found in the Gospels, but Paul mentions it actually quite a bit. And it's actually mentioned quite a bit in the book of Acts as well. I know there's a lot of ink spilt on what the kingdom of God is. I think the kingdom of God is the end time everlasting kingdom that comes in Christ Jesus. It is the end time new heavens and new earth. And it comes inaugurated in Christ and the outpouring of the spirit. And it shall come in full consummated when Christ comes again. When is going to, when is Christ going to hand over the kingdom? First Corinthians 15 at the end, Christ's kingdom shall be forever. And the expression of it in this present evil age, as we await for that fullness is the church and the preaching of the gospel is the bringing in of the kingdom. When Jesus comes on the scene in Mark one, he says, what repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, believe on the gospel. So what is the kingdom of God? It is about the salvation of souls It's about the salvation of sinners to be part of the new creation. And isn't that this been his emphasis throughout this book? Christ, who is the Lord of creation, is the Christ who is Lord of new creation. Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the firstborn from the dead that he might have the preeminence. Christ is the head who triumphs over all principality and power. Christ is the head of the body for which Christ suffers. Christ is the head in him. All the joints and ligaments are joined together. That is, we are in him, and in him we are the new creation. We are the new man in him. This old creation is passing away. This world and everything that we see around us is old news and shall perish. But those that are in Christ shall reign forever. Those that are in Christ shall remain forever as the new creation. Paul, throughout the epistles highlights this very thing, but what the church is. We're going to see this more tonight in Ephesians 2 with the outworking of the covenant of redemption, that in Christ, he is building a temple. Christ, who is the temple, is the one who builds his temple, the dwelling of God. And when we come in and gather as the saints of God, we are entering into the mountain of God. We are entering into Zion each and every Lord's Day. We are coming to get a gather with God Most High. 
and the advancement of the kingdom of God comes by way of preaching, comes by way of gathering, comes by way as we enter in to be reminded about that blessed new creation. And what's interesting is Acts ends with an emphasis on the kingdom of God. Acts 28, as Paul is sitting in his under house arrest, probably from which he is writing to the church at Colossae in verse 23. Speaking to Jews, he says, so when he had appointed him a day, many came to him in his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, who is the king from the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. He took the Old Testament and points about everything from Genesis to Malachi, Genesis to Revelation is about the Lord Jesus Christ, is about what he would do, is about the salvation that is found in him and in him alone. But the kingdom of God is Christ. And then verse 30, at the end of the book, then Paul dwelt two years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. The kingdom of God comes in through preaching. The kingdom of God comes in through the church, not transforming society. That is not bringing the kingdom of God in, but it's in Christ Jesus. And we long for a new heavens. Isn't that what we look forward to? A new heavens and a new earth. But these, Jesus, Mark, Aristarchus, are fellow workers for the kingdom of the circumcision. So these men are of the circumcision. Then also notice we have Epaphras, who is their pastor, verse 12. And notice the glowing report that he gives of their pastor. He is probably the one who brought report to them, perhaps brought the concerns about these false teachers to him in prison. It is possible that he's also imprisoned with Paul as well. But in any case, Paul knows him and Epaphras brings report concerning them to Paul, seeking his aid and seeking his help. Epaphras, which is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, he greets you. Always, and notice what he does, always laboring fervently for you in prayers in order that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. There is this tension, isn't there? Pastors are not disembodied spirits. Pastors have big heads. Pastors get very puffed up. All those things happen. Trust me, I have the biggest head of anybody here. I can get easily puffed up. It's very easy to do that. But there's also the reality that pastors need to be encouraged too. So there's kind of a fine line, isn't there? Don't puff him up, but, uh, but encourage him as well. And so Paul does this for them. He says, here's your pastor. Here's what he does for you. And notice, he labors fervently for you in prayer. Notice labors fervently. We saw that already in chapter 4, verse 2, how he calls all of us to continue earnestly. And in verses 3 through 4, how we ought to pray for the advancement of the kingdom, pray for pastors, but pastors also must pray for their flock. And notice, strive. Strive to pray. Remember we said when we looked at it for all of us that praying is very hard. We get tired. We get sleepy. Our minds wander. We need to flick our faces. 
We need some that one of those spray bottles to spray us in the face as we start to clo- uh, close our eyes. Ask God for a spirit of prayer. Guess what? Pastors have to do that as well. We're not Moses always glowing all the time. We're not, you know, people put us on a pedestal thinking, wow. And we ought, certainly there's the element we ought to strive and ought to, you know, be diligent in these things, but it's hard. And notice he strives for them. He prays for them. He's concerned about them. He labors for them in the might of God. Paul labors in the word in chapter 129. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. God works, but Paul strives. We have to be diligent, don't we? We might struggle with prayer, but we have to be diligent with prayer. Grab our collars, shake our faces, smack our faces when we are not, when we are growing uh, sleepy, when we are slumbering. We need to strive. I don't want to pray of a pray. I'd rather watch this show. I'd rather do this thing instead. Brethren, it's not wrong to rest, but it's probably more important to pray first, right? To call upon our God in prayer. And pastors struggle with those same things, to pray. And he greets you, always laboring for you in prayers. And notice the purpose and exactly what he prays for that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Not referring to perfection in this life. Davenant says the absolute perfection is not to be found in our pilgrimage here. There is no perfection in this present life. We are perfect in Christ, but we still struggle with remaining corruption. But as Davenant says, we must always attempt and aspire after it. Christ being the author who teaches us to pray. Newsflash for you. Prayer is always going to be hard. (laughs) Prayer is always going to be difficult. So strive in Christ. The Christian life is always going to be hard. Growing in grace and knowledge. knowledge, So strive in Christ. Learning and growing in the truth is going to be hard. There's difficult concepts when it comes to theology. There's hard things for us to wrap our brain around. Guess that requi- what that requires? Striving in the Lord. And pastors especially must strive in the Lord to think through these hard and difficult things that the brethren might be presented perfect and without uh, perfect and know all the will of God. And what we've already seen, the, the, the stand perfect aspect in chapter 128, Paul talking about his service for the church as a whole, Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we might present every man perfect in Jesus. We preach Christ that sinners might be saved and be found in him. We preach Christ that you might be sanctified and grow in him. Not in the commandments of men, not in the traditions of men, but in Christ. How do you grow, dear brethren, in Christ? How do you grow in the knowledge of the word? How do you want to live a more godly life in sanctification? Know the truth more. And in fact, the idea of the will of God, not only that we stand fast and are made perfect, but that we know what God's will is and grow in it. And this was the prayer that Paul prayed at the beginning. In chapter 1-9, he says, For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled 
with the knowledge of his will. We have to know his will. We have to know the power of his will to be able to live according to God's will. If we just walk our Christian life without ever reading God's word, how are we to know what pleases God? How are we to know what honors him? How are we to know about Christ? Well, his word tells us. That's why we need to read his word again and again and again and again. So that's why I need to be under preaching often every Lord's Day, twice, if necessary, twice, hopefully, that we might be under the word of God as we hear Christ speak to us. That is how we grow, dear brother. You want to grow in sanctification? Gather with the saints. You want to grow in sanctification? Seek first the kingdom of God. Or as Paul says in Colossians 3, set your mind on the things that are above. We live in a fallen age. You know what helps you as you walk in this fallen age? Setting your mind upon Christ the Lord and Christ the King. This is what the pastor's purpose is in his prayer and also in his striving, in his work, in his task as a preacher. It's how Christ prepares his bride for the new heavens and new earth. When we gather, it is preparing us for heaven. When we gather, it is like entering into an embassy of heaven. We come out of the world and into the house of the Lord to dwell with him in that special way. Yes, he dwells with us each and every day by the power of the spirit. But in here, he gathers with us. And how does he prepare us through preaching? Him we preach, as Paul says in 128. And Epaphras labors and preaches to them and for them. He also says in verse 13, his zeal, I've seen it. I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, but not just for them, those in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis as well. So lots to say about Epaphras, a glowing report concerning him. Luke and Demas don't get the same treatment, but Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Luke is the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. So we've had two Gospel writers mentioned here. Mark is the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and here Luke is the one who writes the Gospel of Luke, a travel companion of Paul. Luke is probably Paul's Gospel. That's the apostolic authority. Mark is Peter's Gospel. That's the apostolic authority for them. And then we have a fellow named Demas greet you. This is before he went after the world in 2 Timothy 4.10. Probably not so much that he was an apostate, but he just loved worldly things more. And Paul mentions that in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. But now he greets the brethren at Colossae. So that's the greetings from these men to the church at Colossae. And then we have Paul exhort the church at Colossae to greet others. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. So Laodicea is probably close by. Paul also sends his greeting as well. It is the Laodicea that is in Revelation 3, that lukewarm church who had indifference, uh, rather uh, perhaps a carnal uh, love for the things of the world rather than the things of God and indifference to it, uh, to the things of God. So that's for another time. But for now, encourage them, greet them, say hello to them, and say hello to those who are gathering in the church at Nymphus's house, uh, in that house church there in Laodicea. I know some translations or some texts say, say it's a lady, Nympha and her house. It should be Nymphus, man, and his 
house. I'm just going to make that claim right now. Uh, but uh, I know there's some manuscripts, but I, I, I think Nymphus, man, Gil talks about that as well in his house as a place where they gathered. And one thing Davenant points out, all that aside, is that how wherever someone is gathered, there is a church. Every collection of believers, although on account of its smallness, they may be included within the walls of a private house, and although on account of the fury of their enemies, they may meet in nocturnal assemblies, is a true church, and a living member of the universal church. And we see that here with the church that meets at Nymphus's house. And so, brother, I think one thing that we can glean here and see here is that we ought to encourage one another, not just be concerned with one another, but also encourage one another as well. And again, how do we do that? We do that in the word. Pastors must encourage, pastors must uplift, pastors must give the word of God. That is our task. We ought to encourage one another. He does say that in 315. He says, or 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom uh, by teaching and admonishing one another with that word. We need to be reminded of Christ when we're down and weary and heavy laden. We need to be reminded about the forgiveness and the power of our Lord, because we can be so very forgetful of that, can't we? Forgetful of what he is doing, forgetful of his mercy, forgetful that he is king over all things. And we need to be uplifted. And why do we gather, brethren? It is to hear Christ for sure but also to stir up one another to love and good works. Hebrews chapter 10, to uplift one another. That is, we can encourage and gather with one another to encourage one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And also pray for me that I would pray for you. And brethren, I do pray for you. I pray for your needs. I pray for your concerns. I pray and labor, uh, uh, not perfectly for sure, uh, but pray that, you know, the word of God would uplift you and hold you and keep you. That is my task. That is what God has called me to do. And you might want me to do this. You might want me to do that. But here's what God has called me to do. And this is what I must do for your good. You need the word. You need the whole counsel of God. I need the word. I need the whole counsel of God. And this is how we encourage one another in the Lord. So that's encouragement by greeting Let's then look thoroughly and finally at encouragement in the ministry, verses 16 through 18. And notice we see a ministry fulfilled in verses 16 through 17. And in verse 16, we see the importance of the reading of God's word. Notice Paul says, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Paul understood, I think, his authority he understood his role in redemptive history. I think we do see that in, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, that the word of God might advance. He became a minister for this purpose, to fulfill the word of God, not preach it, but also advance it to the ends of the earth. And so he understood, and he knew uh, his authority in that church. And so he says, read it among you. Read it among the church at Colossae. It's assumed it's going to be read, but also spread it and read it to the other church of Laodicea as well, because they might have similar issues, similar problems, similar concerns. Uh, let's be honest. There's nothing new under the sun. 
And there's many similar false doctrines that always rear their ugly head in history. And so Paul is saying to them, hey, you have these issues here. Here's what you need as well. But it's the reading of the letter. And notice it's read in the church. See, that is read also in the church of the Laodiceans when they gathered and the word was read. That's why the Westminster divines and the catechism say it's not just certainly it is the preaching of God's word that is the word of God, but also the reading of God's word and the singing of God's word and the praying of God's word. That's why when we come to the reading in Joshua 8, you can't just go, it's not the preaching yet. You kind of have to go, oh, it's still the reading of God's word. And we still must be attentive and, uh, and awake for what God has to say as the word is read. And let's be honest, probably what would be more edifying for the church of God is just every Sunday, we just read the letters, right? Read Colossians, read Ephesians, read it in its whole. That's probably more edifying than the things that I will spout from this pulpit. Uh, but in any case, preaching is still important. <laughs> in him we preach, but the reading is very important uh, as well. The reading of God's word in the church of Laodicea, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea to them, not a book of the Bible, uh, but a letter nonetheless to the church at Colossae from Laodicea. So that's reading of the word, but also the importance of a ministry fulfilled uh, and the ministry of Archippus in verse 17. And say to Archippus, uh, Philemon too, he's mentioned as well. That's probably how we can tell that Philemon and Anesimus is from Colossae, that Philemon is at Colossae. Uh, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And again, I think the emphasis here is on the office, on the a pastor, on the ministry of the word, one who also was at Colossae with Epaphras. And maybe he was getting a little lax, I don't know, or maybe he was getting a little tired and weary in his ministry. And so maybe Epaphras kind of put in a good word with Paul and said, Paul, listen, I got this fellow minister. He's a great in many areas. He's kind of struggling right now. We just give him a bit of a reminder for me. And the last thing he says in the letter, the last thing he says before a salutation is all about the ministry. Take heed to the ministry, which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Beware, be watchful in it. We saw with Jonah, just because someone's a prophet, ministers can still backslide. Ministers can still uh, be weary and heavy laden. And so what is he saying? Take heed the ministry be watchful in it and notice it is something that is received the ministry is a gift that god gives and it is a calling that god lays on one's heart but also must be affirmed by the church as well and notice received in the lord the lord not only gives the gifts requisite for it but opens the doors as well And it is a ministry that God provided for Archippus at Colossae. And he just needs a little bit of a reminder. Take heed to it. You've received it from God. You've set apart from God. You all the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3. Be watchful with your ministry for the purpose that you may fulfill it. That is, do what God has called you to do. Do what you're supposed to do as a minister. There is similar language in 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says, after he says, preach the word, that's the emphasis of the church, preach the kingdom, because there's going to be men who come, and there's going to be uh, people who like these men who come and heap up and take away from 
truth to turn men aside to false teaching. But Timothy, you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Well, the same thing is true of Archippus here. He must fulfill his ministry, what God has called him to do. Don't talk about puppets, ponies, and programs. It's not about 10 ways on how to live a better life. Your emphasis in your ministry is to preach the word of God, to preach the whole counsel, to preach Christ, because as you have received Christ, so then walk in him. Walk in Christ. And how do we do that? How can we walk in him if Christ isn't preached? How can we walk in him if we're not being being found in him by faith and also being reminded of him day by day? How do we walk in Christ if the church is all about scruples and laws and not in the power of Jesus Christ? That is Paul's emphasis throughout the entire book. The word of God, the word of Christ that you might grow. And his final word before the salutation, the final greeting is about the ministry. Fulfill your ministry that you may fulfill it. And then verse 18, we see the final, final salutation. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. There was a custom uh, during the Greco-Roman period uh, where many writers had secretaries who wrote it for them, and it was dictated by the, the, the author of it. So that's what Paul is saying here. I've dictated it, but this is, he, I mean, he's shackled, right? He has to dictate it. Uh, he dictates it. It is his words. It is what he says, but someone else is writing it down, but he's putting a signature on it. He's giving his stamp on it that this is his. This salutation is by my own hand. I've wrote it, signed Paul. And then he says, remember my chains. Again, one of the last things he says, remember me in my suffering. Remember me, pray for me. He suffers for the gospel. He suffers that the afflictions of Christ might be fulfilled, uh, that he might fill what is lacking, that the gospel might advance. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 4. He, he, he hopes that his suffering would be for the advancement of the gospel, but he also calls him to remember him. Remember his chains. Remember his suffering. Remember what he is going through. Remember all that he is enduring. Davenant says a minister of the word ought not only to show himself a pattern of constancy and fortitude in suffering, but also to animate and strengthen others by building up, consoling, and preparing them by all means to endure the cross with joy. He does that, but he also asks them to remember him in his chains. And then he says, grace be with you. Amen. It is a typical ending to his letters, but also reminds us that we need grace. He starts the letter with grace. He ends the letter with grace. Everything we do within between those two bookends is by grace and not by works. Beale says all that Paul says to the Colossians and all that he exhorts and commands them can be believed and obeyed only by God's grace. And brethren, the church advances only by God's grace. The church advances by the power of Christ, who is the head. But he has given us and commanded us and told us how it ought to advance. 
And as we think about what God says about how it should advance, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, uh, through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. He went through preaching and teaching. Preaching is the emphasis. And you know what? That is something that the world struggles with. That's why people are so tempted to make church a spiritual supermole. That's why people are so tempted to have puppets, ponies, and programs. That's why people are so tempted. Let's just take away the sin stuff. We need to talk about how bad everybody is. Let's just all be positive. Oh, that Christ, he wasn't actually God. We couldn't actually believe that. Oh, how do you grow your church? Well, you have to have a rocking band. You have to be really kind. You have to wear skinny jeans. You have to do this, that, or the other. What does God say? And how does it advance, brethren? When we consider the method that God says in his word for the advancement of the kingdom, it is no wonder it's by God's grace. It is no wonder that it's by God's goodness. Because what the world wants and what God says are two very different things. But thankfully, God knows best. And thankfully, God knows what we need. And he he knows that we need his word. Men to proclaim the word, people who love the word and wish to be under the word. And that is what gathering is primarily about. It's about worshiping God and God working in you. It's not about all your felt needs. Well, you don't have this. You don't have that. You don't have this program. You don't have this for my kids. It's about worshiping God most high. The church is all about the Lord. My dear daughter has wonderful imagination. She started talking about the Arctic and her baby Baba and how her baby Baba goes to the church in the Arctic. You know what she called that church? All about the Lord church. I think we should change our name. I'm going to put in a vote for next AGM. Let's change our name from Surrey Reformed Baptist Church to all about the Lord church. Isn't that what the church is about? all about the Lord, our worship of him. We enter into his house. But what's so blessed is that as we enter into his house, he dwells with us. He speaks to us. He speaks to you and he works. If there's no Christ, there is no working. If there is no word, there is no working. That's why church must be all about the Lord. Because the hope is, it isn't just that that the saints would be edified. That is for sure. That is the primary purpose. But we also hope that sinners would be saved. We hope that sinners would hear about Christ and the great Savior that he is. Hope that they would hear about their, their souls that shall never die. Hear about their souls that are sinful against God most high. Hear about their souls that if they don't confess and, and turn to Christ, they shall die in their trespasses and sins. You see, many, if you're an unbeliever here today, many of your friends and family have a great concern for your soul. You might balk at them. You might scoff at them. What's this stuff about Jesus and the sin stuff you talk about? But the Bible says you're a sinner, but there is a great Savior. And if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved and you shall find mercy and forgiveness in him and you shall be in the new creation forever. Otherwise, you will perish with the old. Why would you perish with the old when you can be in the new forever with Christ? Well, let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you again for all that you do for us, and thank you for the encouragement that you give us in your word. Thank you for the uplifting that you give us in your word, but we're thankful for what your word says concerning who Christ is and what he has done for us, who says who we are, even if it is hard for us to, to grasp what it says about us, but also what we need, and thank that that is Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done for us. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection. Thank you that in him there is uh, uh, there is the turning away of your wrath. Thank you that in him there is the cleansing of our, our filth from us. Thank you that we are washed in his blood. Thank you that we are sanctified by the spirit that has been poured out and we've been set apart. Thank you that we do dwell with you. We confess, oh God, we take this dwelling for granted. We take it for granted that your spirit uh, dwells in our bodies as our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we take for granted the blessing is to come to Zion each and every Lord's Day, to enter into your house, to hear you preach to us. And thank you that you do. And so we pray that you'd forgive us for all of our sins and thank you that you do in Christ. We pray that you'd help us to encourage one another, to be concerned for one another, but also to encourage one another in the word. Please be with me as the pastor of this church. Help me to labor for uh, for the brethren. Help me to labor in preaching and prayer. Help the brethren to, to, to be faithful. Help the brethren to pray as well. Help the brethren to love the preaching and to be awake and attentive. And thank you that you are a good God who does answer our prayers. These are covenant promises, and we bring these covenant promises before you and ask that you would provide as you so often do. So we ask if they're in here today who do not know you, please save their souls. Please give them new life in Christ. Help them to be part of that new creation by faith uh, rather than pass with the old. So be with all of us, we pray. Give us comfort and encouragement. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.